You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life with your host, Kim Olver. Hi, this is Kim and welcome to the 29th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. This is not the episode I had planned for this week, but it was so heavy on my heart, it had to be said. I had planned to talk about leadership, creating a need-satisfying environment at work, but instead I want to talk about my involvement in the Black Lives Matter movement. I am a white female. I grew up in a small town in the northeast corner of Pennsylvania where there were very few black people. In fact, I don't remember a single person of color in the high school I attended. Everyone was white, which made for quite a homogenous environment save for the church a person attended. I never had to think about race. That's one of the ways we white people are privileged in that we don't have to think about race or the color of our skin until those rare moments, if they ever occur, when I'm the only Caucasian in a group of black people. I've been that person, and I'm reminded it's quite a common, maybe even daily occurrence for many black people. I was called to support the Black Lives Matter movement due to the strength and content of my character. Those who really know me know my number one value is kindness. Above all else, I want to be kind. This is who I want to be, regardless of whether others are kind to me. Being a kind person is more important to me than money, safety, power, or anything, really, except for family. There's other things that are important to me that come just under kindness, like relationships, honesty, integrity, fairness, helping others, freedom of choice, personal responsibility, and educating people interested in the things I know. Those are the things that make up Kim, for good or bad, like it or hate it, approve or disapprove. Every day when I wake up, I think of what I have planned for the day and set my intentions for being the person I want to be in all my encounters. Most days, that's relatively easy, but more recently, it's been challenging. But I'll get to that in a minute. From the time I was a young child on the school playground, I always stood up to bullies. I was always in the popular crowd. I'm not bragging, but that's just how it was, another privilege. So I had little to lose by standing up to bullies, I had a whole posse of my own who would stand with me if I needed them. I remember pushing down a male classmate of mine for giving my girlfriend a bloody nose in elementary school. In high school, I jumped into a fight between a bully and my younger brother and asked the bully to pick on me instead. There was a girl in my high school class named Donna, and for some reason she was unusually tall. It was obvious that was an embarrassment for her in the way she carried herself. She always walked slumped over, carrying all her books at once in her arms, I think because she was afraid to go to her locker for fear of getting bullied. I watched a boy intentionally bump into her, which was easy to do because she was always looking at her feet, to make her drop all her books and then laughed as she had to stoop down to pick them up. I let him have a piece of my mind for that. I have no tolerance for meanness. Did I mention Underdog was my favorite cartoon growing up? I must have fancied myself some sort of caped crusader flying around trying to right all the wrongs in the world, at least in my personal orbit. For good or bad, like me or hate me, this is who I am. I care about people and believe everyone deserves a fair chance and no one has the right to hurt people for no reason other than that they can. 
In college, I remember going to the gay rights group, not because I was gay or even questioning, but because I believe the LGBT community, as it's called now, should have the same rights everyone else does. What people choose to do in the privacy of their homes as two consenting adults is no one's business. It shouldn't be a reason to harass, fire, or kill someone. I stand with the LGBT community on helping them gain the same rights everyone has. It takes absolutely nothing away from me. They are not asking for more rights than heterosexuals have enjoyed since the beginning of time, only equal rights. In the 80s and 90s, I was busy raising kids and working for a foster care agency. So during that time, my cause was physically and sexually abused kids. I fiercely stood for their mental health and the belief that every person deserves love. Not every child is born to loving parents, and it was so sad to me that the kids were the ones taken from the home for their own protection instead of the offending parent. I worked hard to be at least one person in the lives of those kids who treated them like they were special, important, and loved. Now I'm considered a mature woman, and I still see pain and inequity in the world. Perhaps it's human nature to have bullies and victims, just like the kids on the playground, and I'm fighting a battle that can't be won, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying. I don't believe things will always be the same because they've always been that way in the past. I know change can happen. It's happened already. I have a strong growth mindset, and I believe a collective group of people with like minds have no limit to what they can accomplish. I lived through the 60s. I remember women burning their bras. I didn't really understand all that that entailed until much later. And I also saw the civil rights protests play out on our black and white television in my parents' living room. I didn't understand the hoses and the dogs. It just seemed so wrong to me, so against anything I'd been taught in Sunday school. Of course, I was a kid then, and there wasn't anything I could do about it except feel bad. But I'm not a kid anymore, and I can't be silent. You may want to silence me or get me to change my mind, but I don't intend to stop. I've seen advances in women's rights. We have further to go as evidenced by the Me Too movement and pay inequity, but we've come a long way. Civil rights has also come a long way from how things were in the 50s, but there's still a long way to go until there's equity and bias in the system is eliminated. I've had my own personal experiences with racism, subtle, but there nonetheless. I've always had a large amount of empathy, so I've been able to put myself in someone else's shoes as best I can to attempt to see the world through their eyes. This serves me as a therapist. Some people would call me a bleeding heart liberal. I would call myself compassionate and understanding. My experience with people of color began in the 90s when there was a black man from Chicago in my training to become an instructor of choice theory. When I looked at him on the outside, we had nothing in common. He was a black man. I was a white woman. He lived in the city of Chicago. I lived on a dirt road in Pennsylvania. He was seriously dating someone. I was a widow. He was raising eight and nine-year-old girls, and I was raising teenage boys. The only thing we had in common was our love of choice theory. As we got to know each other, we realized we had a lot in common. Both of us were training directors at child welfare agencies. We were both spiritual people. We both wanted to learn more about each other's lives and cultures. 
My friendship with Sylvester Baugh was one of the most influential of my life thus far. He was different, yet the same, and I learned a lot about what it was like to grow up black in Chicago. Of course, his experience isn't representative of all blacks in Chicago, but there were commonalities with many. Eventually, I moved to Chicago. We wrote a book together about our experiences called Leveraging Diversity at Work, and we did a lot of diversity training together. In the beginning, I was afraid to do that alone as a white female, but I grew into a person who was almost fearless. Doing diversity training for a predominantly black audience at Cook County Probation by myself is one of the things I'm proud of doing. It was one of those courageous moments where you're scared, but you do it anyway. And I realized there was nothing to be afraid of. If I create a safe environment and vulnerable myself and only speak my truth while allowing and encouraging others to do the same, there's not a problem. One of my racial experiences has to do with Sylvester. We were on the road doing a training together and stopped at Walmart to pick up some things. I went through the checkout line first, paid with my credit card, and waited for him to get his things. When he handed over his credit card, he was asked for ID from the same cashier who didn't ask me for mine. Why? We don't know for sure, but I believe it was because he was black. Another time, I was riding with a different black man on a long road trip and was driving his pickup truck. I got caught speeding, and when pulled over, my friend became quite anxious, and I didn't understand why. Like the privileged white female I am, I immediately reached over to his glove compartment to get his registration and dug around my purse for my driver's license and handed them over as requested. The policeman disappeared to his vehicle to check everything. When he returned, he asked me to step out of the vehicle. I'm not proud to say this, but I've had a few experiences with speeding, and I've never been asked to get out of the vehicle. I had no idea why he was asking, but I did what I was taught and obeyed the officer. He took me to the front of the truck and turned me around so my friend couldn't see my face and asked, Ma'am, are you all right? Of course I told him I was fine, except for just getting a ticket, and he sent us on our way. I've told several of my white friends that story, and they said, Yeah, but didn't that make you feel safe? What if you were really in trouble? I can understand that sentiment if I had given him any indication of being in distress, but clearly I hadn't. And I suspect if I had been riding with a white man in a white man's pickup truck, he wouldn't have pulled me out of the car to ask that question. Back to my anxious friend. When I got back in the truck, he asked if my parents had never told me about 10 and 2. I had no clue what he was talking about, so he enlightened me. He said he was taught that whenever he was pulled over by police, he needed to place his hands in the 10 and 2 positions on the steering wheel, just like a clock, and to narrate his every move so he wouldn't get shot. I've never had to worry about that. I never taught my kids about that. I'm not seen as a threat, mostly because I'm female, but also because I'm white. Let's talk privilege for a moment. I have privilege in this country. I didn't ask for it, I didn't create it, but I've benefited from it. As an adult, I can see my privilege take something away from another group of individuals who are just as worthy as me. I don't want this privilege until everyone has the same privilege. And then of course, no one has privilege because the playing field has been equaled. 
That doesn't necessarily mean everyone will be treated the same, but the shade of a person's skin shouldn't determine if he gets the job, is pulled over or stopped and frisked by police, is pressured into confessing or taking a plea bargain because he can't afford counsel, receives a tougher jail sentence, or is straight up murdered simply because of his skin color. All skin tones will have the same opportunities. Everyone has special abilities. Some people are great working with people, some at working with their hands, some at creating, others with computers, some with health and wellness, others at athletics. I live for helping to create a world where everyone can excel in the areas they are naturally gifted and talented to excel in, without artificial barriers being constructed around the color or shade of their skin. In no world is that right. That's my opinion. I'll fight for equality until my dying breath. Black Lives Matter, racial inequality in this country matter to me. I want to be part of the solution rather than remaining part of the problem. That's my decision and my choice. You get to make your own decisions and choices. I applaud your right to do so, and I'm not trying to change you or get you to think the way that I do. I couldn't do that if I wanted to. I use my Facebook page to call attention to Black Lives Matter because of the quote from World War II. All it takes for the perpetuation of evil is for good people to do nothing. I consider myself a good person and I can't do nothing. This is not something I do because it's trendy. It's who I am. I don't necessarily believe black people can't fight their own fight. I know they're capable and they will find a leader who can unite them. They don't need me for that. Actually, they don't need me at all. I just know there's been several calls from black people, including my friends, for white people to educate themselves. Black people are tired, and they're asking to not have to go over their issues one more time with white people who really can't understand their lives because they haven't lived them. The only thing we can truly do is listen, understand as best we're able, and believe that they're sharing their truth. You can never be able to see it the same way because you're looking at it from a different angle, but try your best to see it from theirs. I have listened, learned, and I've educated myself. Do I know everything? Of course not. No one can. But I know a good bit more than a lot of my friends and I'm still researching. That doesn't make me better than anyone else. Everyone is educated on the things that are important to them. Some people are educated on technology and science. Those are two areas that hold zero interest for me. I'm a therapist. What interests me is people and what makes them tick. It's a natural fit for me that I would educate myself on racism. I offer to help educate any person who knows less than I do and wants to know what I know. I'm picking up the baton from my black friends who are tired and am carrying it for a while. And let me tell you, this baton has some weight to it. I have zero right to say this, but I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about this and having people argue with me. I don't mind respectful disagreements, but every time I put something on Facebook, I get a lot of pushback, mostly from white males who are name-calling, belittling, and bullying. It takes me back to the elementary school playground. I'm an ally. And I stand with black people who are trying to make a difference and are being held back by an oppressive system. I do not walk in front of, nor do I trail behind. I want to stand shoulder to shoulder with my black and brown brothers and sisters 
to magnify their voices with my privilege. There are some people who can hear my voice over black voices. That's why I've taken up the Black Lives Matter cause. It's the choice I'm making to help. Mostly, I'm listening. I want to learn. I listen to more people of color because I am all too versed in the white narrative and aware of the system I've lived in. I'm less educated about experiences of people of color, so that is where my attention is now. This is my choice. I'm not asking you to join me or to stand with me. If you're called to do that, great, I support you. If you're called to do something else, that's fine too. And black or white, if you're called to do violence, there are consequences for that, and I don't condone violence on either side. I'm very aware of the human tendency toward confirmation bias. I like to spend time with people who think like I do. I look for news that supports what I already believe. I know that's human nature. I work at hearing viewpoints that are different from mine. I listen, trying to understand where they're coming from. It can be very painful sometimes because I can learn things that shake the foundation of what I believe. That never feels good. I remember when someone sent me a video of a black man asking white people to just shut up about Black Lives Matter. They don't need or want our support, and we don't know what we're talking about anyway. I've seen another black person on a video telling white people to quit kneeling and apologizing for something they didn't take part in, slavery. I've wondered if I'm doing the wrong thing, but when I ask the question to the people I care about, they tell me no. They're grateful for my help, so I'll continue. I'm doing it for them. What I realize is something I've always known, and it's connected to choice theory. Every single person on this planet is going to choose the best decision available to them in that moment that they believe will get them what they want most in that situation. White supremacists do it, protesters do it, allies do it, people pretending there's nothing going on do it, police do it, and the rioters and the looters do it. There are many opinions and behaviors on all sides of this issue. It's not an easy thing, being human, in 2020. But just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do our best. Our beliefs and opinions are clearly shaped by the information we're exposed to and the life experiences we've had. I would be one of the people yelling, all lives matter, had I stayed living in Northeast PA where I hadn't known a single black person. I certainly pay more attention to news outlets that share my opinion. They just feel more right to me. But I've had an education during this time from the other side. I learned the Black Lives Matter organization, whoever they are, may not have black people's best interests at heart. I learned about female store owners being brutally beaten by rioters for attempting to defend their stores. I didn't know about those things, but I think it's reprehensible. I'm not in favor of rioting, looting, and violence. I'm not in favor of profiteering from Black Lives Matter, nor am I in favor of rioting, looting, and violence, nor are many of the Black Lives Matter protesters. I heard many of them calling out the rioters and asking them to please stop. They were hurting the cause. People who don't want to face or simply don't believe it's true that there are two sets of rules in the criminal justice system, one for blacks and one for whites. They often quote Candace Owen and Ben Carson as examples of black people speaking the truth. What they're saying certainly fits with the narrative that there's nothing wrong with our justice system, but rather there are just a few bad cops who need to be punished. 
That's certainly a differing opinion and valid for Owens and Carson, but please don't think that they or their experiences mirror the vast majority of people of color. If you want to believe that those darker-skinned people who are successes are proof that anyone can do it, you're certainly entitled to that opinion. I don't share it, and that's all right, because white people are a divergent group too. You are just as response-able as anyone, and I can predict that you, whoever you are, are going to choose the best behavior in this moment to get what you want most, and I support you in that. And you will bear 100% responsibility for your choices, just as I will. The analogy I like to use is of a bully. Bullies pick on people. That's what they do. It's why we call them bullies. Some people today are like the bullies who punch their victims. And when the victims complain, the bully says, nah, that don't hurt. Bullies don't get to decide the pain of their victims. It isn't their pain. We need to listen to the people who are in pain and believe them. This brings me to my final point about responsibility. I had a long talk with someone very close to me, a white male who believes he is fair with people despite their skin color and is definitely not a racist, but he struggles with the concept of Black Lives Matter. He can't seem to get behind the movement, even though he agrees from watching the video that George Floyd was straight up murdered. He believes that if he endorses Black Lives Matter, he's admitting he's a racist and he won't do that. Because I listen, not just to the people who agree with me, I work to understand that position. And I think it comes down to the difference between responsibility and response-ability. Contemporary white people are not responsible for slavery or the horrendous way blacks have been treated throughout history. We did not do that. Of course, there are still white supremacists alive and well, and they are responsible for their actions. Most white people did not create the system of oppression in the U.S., nor were we particularly aware of it, until now when most people have a video camera in their hands and can document evidence to enlighten us. We weren't responsible for that stuff. But one thing everyone, black and white alike, is, is response-able. We are capable of making a response, choosing to do something or choosing to do nothing. And whatever we choose, we're 100% responsible for it. I believe in one race, the human race. And within that race, we have far more similarities than differences, but we have a lot of difference too, even between those of us who look the same. Just as not all white people are racist, so also are black people not all looters and perpetrators of violence. I think if we could place black people on the bell curve, at one end you'd see those black people who have really done well for themselves, like Owens, Carson, and Morgan Freeman. On the opposite end of the curve are the looters, rioters, and angry, violent people who are hurting other people. In between those two extremes lie the vast majority of people of color, and among them there is no stereotype, except to say that many of them share feeling tired and have degrees of pain and anger over the inequities they've had to endure every day of their lives. I know what I'm choosing. I'm choosing to speak out to help educate people in the area of racial injustice. I will stop when the color of a person's skin has nothing to do with job availability, socioeconomic status, voter suppression, health coverage, and criminality. People of color aren't asking for more rights than you have, just the same rights. And when they say black lives matter, 
They aren't saying black lives matter more than yours. They're simply saying you can't say all lives matter until it's true that black lives matter. White lives have always mattered in this country. Black lives have too often been snuffed out without a care. The movement, not the organization, is saying black lives matter so that all lives matter can be, in fact, a true statement. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join me next week when I resume my discussion of leadership with Dr. Terry Winfrey, the first female president of Prairie State College in Chicago Heights, Illinois. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast. And remember to subscribe.